Welcome to... Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. The first Grand Slam of the 2020 season, officially in the books. Novak Djokovic emerging with his 17th Grand Slam title. Sophia Kennan, the 21-year-old American, winning her first of potentially many Grand Slam titles in her career. Such a fun weekend of action to discuss. Joining me on tonight's podcast to do just that, you know him as the co-host of our mini Break podcast, a former Denison men's tennis superstar. Of course, I affectionately refer to him as James Foster McDonald. Jamie, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. Fun weekend of tennis, right? Appreciate it. Yeah, multiple weekends and it all ended in dramatic five-set fashion. So very good. Lots of fun. I think a lot of us may have had Djokovic teams circled in our potential finals for the Australian Open men's side, but I don't think anyone on Turnitopia had Ken and Muguruza, and shout out to them if they did. But we got a little bit of everything. I We will get to a winners and losers segment later on in the show, and by the way, we are also live on YouTube, so to any of our viewers watching this stream, to any of our podcast listeners who want to see Jamie and my smiling faces while listening to our Australian Open breakdown, we say hello to you now, and I suppose hello to you in the future. Um, but I, I when we get to the winners and losers, one of the things I have circled from the semifinals and onwards, you got a little bit of everything and we didn't have the chance to mini break this weekend. We will explain why in our announcements at the end of the show. But this was in terms of dream scenarios for the first Grand Slam of the 2020 season, exactly what I think we could have wanted. Yeah, it had everything, right? Um, it had crazy comebacks. It had big-time five-set matches. Um, had some crazy three-setters on the women's side. You have a young American champ. Yeah, a lot of things, at least here, you know, at Biased Cracked Rackets, really happy about. Yeah, we had next-gen players in Sophia Kennan. Guys, we consider next-gen in Alex Virev, or at least a guy. Dominic Team, not next-gen by age, but certainly a fresher face. But if you like Roger Federer and Novak Djokovic, you got them in the semifinals. If you like... Grand Slam champions, Halep, Muguruza, Ashley Barty, all Grand Slam champions participating on the women's side. We've talked a little bit about the women's semifinal. We talked about half of the men's semifinal on the mini break podcast we did last week. So if you missed anything from the Australian Open, go check out those mini break podcasts now to get you all caught up. The only semifinal match we didn't talk about, Dominic Team and Alex Zverev. Rather than break that down, I do want to talk about how the Zverev match set up Dominic Team for the final. In our first breakdown of today's podcast, the match I want to start with, the match I think we have to start with, given the five-set nature of it, is the men's final. Novak Djokovic versus Dominic Team. Novak Djokovic, uh, last year's champion, a guy who had seven Australian Open titles heading into this Grand Slam final. He emerges as the winner once again of the year's first Grand Slam, 17th title of his career, as he takes a 6-4, win over Dominic Team, who is making his third Grand Slam finals appearance of his career, but his first outside of the French Open. I think rather than say you, just your preliminary thoughts, we have to take this on a point-by-point basis because there were. I, I think the biggest takeaway from this match was the momentum swings, Jamie. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, there's some obvious ones you circle right off the bat, that weird sort of third set um, where team just completely blows Djokovic out. But Djokovic just kind of looked dejected, similar to what we saw him do for a set or so in the Wimbledon final against Federer. So maybe that's just something he does now. I don't know. Um, I don't know if I'm still as, as confident in saying in my my deep theory that I think he gives away sets so that he can say he wins five set thrillers. <laughs> 
this is more proof for it. I'm, that's all I'm saying. I won't go. I won't go crazy down the tirade. But no, you're exactly right. The momentum shifts were insane in this match, and you know it was great because from start to finish, who was going to win? Who knows? Right? There were plenty of chances for team to get back into this thing in the fifth set. Ultimately, Djokovic holds on. Right? But really entertaining from start to finish. You talk about next gen finalists and people who are, you know, that because we keep wondering is, are, is anyone outside of the big three going to break through, finally win a slam? And you look in terms of the the guys who have come closest, Dominic team in making those two French Open finals. Uh, he loses to Rafa, I think, in three sets and in four sets in those two matches. Daniil Medvedev coming closest uh, this past fall at the U.S. Open. He goes five sets with Rafa, but he was down two sets to love in that match. And then in this one, it's not that Dominic, you know, that the match went five is on its own impressive, but Dominic team built a two sets to one lead in this match. And I want to start with how we got to that point. Because from the first set, you look at how it broke down, and I know the time zone difference is so difficult. That is one of my losers as well when we get later on. just I'm so happy to be done with the Australian time zone. No disrespect to the Australian people, but it's just a far way away from where I am. It's hard to follow all of that. I think we all felt that a little bit towards the end, the sleep deprivation, uh, certainly if you were trying to cover the tournament throughout it. But you look for Dominic Team and how he built this lead. In the first set, it's interesting because it was all Novak Djokovic. He immediately breaks team right off the bat to go up 2-0. He had a couple of break chances, I think, to go up 4-0 in that first set. And then all of a sudden, we still found ourselves at 4-all. Dominic team clawing his way back. And that was a sign of things to come, Jamie, because for Djokovic, he was finding his spots. He was moving well. He was hitting his targets, certainly from the baseline, finding the Dominic team backhand. But what was so remarkable is that even from the get-go, and sure, Dominic team five, six young, years younger than Novak Djokovic, but it was very clear that physically, Dominic team was not only ready to hang, but was capable of hanging with everything Djokovic brought, and that was what was the standout fact to me. Yeah, I mean, it's really impressive. Obviously, it, it, on its face value, right, you shouldn't be surprised that a guy like Team is so physically fit. But um, you talk about some of the draining matches he had throughout this. You talk about how much energy he puts into every single ground stroke. Um, so, yeah, it is impressive in a way that he was able to, to stand up to that test and um, not only just – I don't know. He, he put himself in a good position, right? I mean, he didn't roll over after Djokovic plays a f- solid first set. He comes back and ultimately wins the second and third. Obviously, we, we talked about this a little bit. Djokovic certainly helped him with the third quite a bit. But team climbs back, like you said, finds himself in a really good spot up two sets to one. Yeah, what was, again, what stood out to me from those first three sets was I thought Djokovic, and particularly on the do side, did a, really went after serving the team forehand. He wanted to open up as much space for himself on the court, keep Dominic Team on the run because we saw Dominic Team, who was really looking to hit as many forehands possible, not only inside out, but inside in from that ad side, not let Djokovic comfortable. He wanted to be the one dictating the terms. Uh, we saw Djokovic do a really good job of not letting him do that in the the first set. Uh, we even saw, you know, Dominic Team double faults that first set away, right? And you're like, oh, maybe those are the jitters. He works all that, you know, works so hard to get that break back and to double fault that set away. That's brutal. But one of the themes we saw early on, and this will carry out throughout the match, uh, in that first set, Dominic Team makes 73% of his first serves, 22 of 35 on those points, but 3 of 13 on the second serve. When Djokovic could step up on a return, use his backhand in particular uh, to dictate the terms and Djokovic, 
you know, he did a really good, you know, disciplined job of attacking the team backhand, but of course he's perfectly comfortable and kept team honest by playing his backhand down the line, taking all the space Dominic team was able to give him. He also wasn't afraid to mix in the drop shots, sneak forward behind it because there were times when team was, you know, five, six, seven, eight to 10 feet behind the baseline. It was a really solid set from Djokovic, but in that first set, he couldn't really hurt Dominic team. A lot of the times, you know, for for Djokovic in that first set, he wins it, but nine winners against 14 unforced errors. Throughout the first three sets, the match was played on Dominic team's terms, and when you're playing one of those big three guys, that is so rare to see someone not named Nadal, Federer, or Djokovic do that to another big three player. Yeah, and, and we talked about teams sort of being in a short list of guys who can really do that, right? Who can dictate points from the ground against a guy like Djokovic. And yeah, like you mentioned, that's how he gets out to this good start. Now, a lot of times too, Djokovic, we've seen him have phenomenal results even when he's not in quote unquote what we would typically call control. I'm sure he feels very control uh, in control in a lot of these scenarios. But yeah, you're right. Um, a lot of this was on team's racket. And um, in order for him to get this, particularly that second set, he played clean. He did. And he got across the finish line. And that's how he knew i mean i was very happy to see that things evened up what i absolutely didn't want to see was a straight set djokovic win um and and needless to say we were treated to something much better than that yeah for dominic team 13 winners against 11 unforced errors in set two 11 winners against seven unforced errors in set three he was patient he only came to the net i think five and six times in those two sets he knew you know if he could withstand djokovic making 10 balls if he could make that 11th ball djokovic was going to give him an error and we saw djokovic's level dip uh throughout those second and third sets and that's something you of course have to mention the commentators you know were speculating is he injured is that something and you know, if you've seen Novak Djokovic, it's that when he brings his best physicality throughout, you know, through the duration of a five-set match, it may not be in set two, but it's in sets one, four, and five, as we saw in this one. That is when he plays his best. Although we saw Djokovic break back for four-all in that second set. Team then, you know, stays disciplined, gets the break right back. Djokovic actually blows up. He yells at the chair umpire. It was a weird moment. You did feel like Djokovic, for the first time, felt some pressure, felt like the match was getting away from him. And then for Dominic team to immediately break Djokovic to start set number three. You know, again, this this sort of gets into that good take, bad take, hot take range, but after set three, did you feel like Dominic team was in control of this match, Jamie, or did you always feel like there was that second gear coming from Novak? It's hard to doubt it, right? You always feel you always feel like okay, there's another gear somewhere, and it's the ultimate shock when one of the big three doesn't find it, right? When when the upset happens, you're like what just happened where where didn't he why didn't he find you know that top gear and you know you mentioned real quick that the pressure that was put on Djokovic and and that's interesting because team put pressure on him in a lot of ways Um, I think it started with the serve particularly in set number two so effective on it 81 percent is his winning percentage on first serve wins half of his second serve points as well those percentages much higher than Djokovic's in the set he was dictating as we mentioned and he was just putting pressure every single point on Djokovic and and obviously it cracked he cracked a little bit right Um, he had that outburst but we We've seen Djokovic do that. You know, that's a tactic. He he has his outburst. It gets him set. He resets. This one was a little weird, though, because then he still has that lull in the third. Then I think people are starting to think, wow, team can really do this. But as great champions do, of course, Djokovic finds it. But when you think about Djokovic losses normally against, and usually they only come against the absolute best players, although in those rare cases when it was a Dennis Istomin even, but the Stan Wawrinka's, the Roger Federer's, uh, maybe Rafa's its own case because that matchup style is such a special uh 
match. They know each other's games so well at this point that it looks a little bit different. Uh, but to beat Novak Djokovic, you have to hit him off the court. And I don't think that's what Dominic Team did. It was, again, so remarkable to see. It was the physical aspect for Dominic Team that he was able to track down one, two, three extra balls himself, you know, throw in a slice backhand low to the Djokovic backhand, throw in a low slice backhand down the line as well, just to get Djokovic out of that ad side of the court, get him moving into the outer thirds. It was so remarkable to see Dominic Team take control of the match through those second and third sets. And yet, and here's a hot take for you, Jamie, it almost felt like that Super Bowl last night where, sure, the, the Niners, Dominic Team, they may have more weapons, they may have more you know, individual things that can hurt their opponent, but the sheer greatness of Patrick Mahomes for the Chiefs, the sheer greatness of Novak Djokovic, he gets so solid in sets four and five, just becomes that brick wall we've become accustomed to seeing. That's how he pulled away. It's that, you know, sure, I threw away two of the sets, and threw away is the wrong word. That's not giving enough credit to Dominic Team, uh, but he hit that extra gear in sets four and five. And I don't think, I don't know, do you think the result more a testament to what Djokovic did right or what team couldn't do? I mean, you got to give a lot of credit to Djokovic here because team's level was really high. Like you mentioned, he wasn't afraid to play the game with with Djokovic. He wasn't at all. The amount of times I saw team in backhand rallies was incredibly impressive. I mean, we know how solid Djokovic is from the ground. Team didn't mind. He would go cross court with him a few balls. Then he'd mix in a slice. Then he, you know, he wasn't just saying, oh God, it's the third ball. I got to slap a winner or else he's going to outlast me. You know, he was in there and he was rallying. Um, and, and so that, that was very impressive to see. And I think only bodes well, uh, for the future. I got to say, love the Kansas city plug there. Uh, uh, anybody who's viewing or listening to this, if you don't know, I am recording from, Kansas City, um, lovely place. It's been absolute chaos in the streets since Mahomes led the comeback, but great reference there. Phenomenal. 10 out of 10. Keep sprinkling those in for me, okay? Well, because it's live video, I can say you look remarkably well put together for someone who had those emotions. I'm sure you did last night. Let me tell you what, I didn't look great this morning, but hey, you know. <laughs> yeah, and, I, you know, for Novak Djokovic, I, I think the biggest thing was how solid he was. He made 70% of his first serves in set number four, won 89% of those points in set number five, only made 66% of those first serves, but won 84% of those points, 60% on the second serve in set five, 50% on set two, but he's only hitting eight second serves, or sorry, in set four, but he's only hitting eight second serves in that set four. The biggest difference, and in two sets, there were only two breaks each. Djokovic getting one in each sets four and five. For Dominic Team, even though he won 87% of his first serves, two of nine on those second serve points in the game he got broken. I think it was three or four of those second serve points happened in that game. The margins are so thin when you get to a Grand Slam final. You're already at five sets. You look at the total points won in this match. Uh, for Dominic Team, he wins 147 points. For Novak Djokovic, it's 157. Dominic Team, 28 of 62 on that second serve, 45% conversion for the raid. When Djokovic was able to take control of the point, he was able to dictate the terms. Team just didn't have quite enough juice, whether it's moving forward to the net. Team, 23 of 31 in this match, but that's probably just not enough when you're playing a guy who's as solid from the baseline as Novak Djokovic. You know, Djokovic It's a testament to his greatness. He's not playing his best tennis. He's not finding winners for Djokovic in this match at the Info Stats Plus. You know, he's plus 12 on the forehand side, but you look on the backhand, he's minus six. That's not something you usually expect from Djokovic. Uh, But he did enough, just physically too overwhelming, and he gets Grand Slam number 17, Jamie. 
Yeah, I mean, and, and ultimately that's what we come to expect. Sometimes it, reading the stat lines is almost misleading when it comes to, to looking at a guy like Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, somebody who has just proven that they can figure out how to win matches. Um, I mean, ultimately, we'll, we'll probably get to this later too, but great example of that was Federer. Multiple matches in this tournament he probably should have lost, but because he is who he is and he finds a way to win, you know, he gets across the finish line. And I don't want to say that's all Djokovic did in this because he did have some phenomenal stretches of play in this to, to, to overcome team as well. Um, but just that extra element right he knows that he can win the slams and and in the deep moments of the fifth when the pressure's on when team is creating opportunities getting deuce games getting break points in the fifth set to get back on track Djokovic is able to hold on and, and yeah that's what happened in a match decided in a, on the baseline who was going to be more solid from uh, during those rallies Djokovic plus 12 on the forehand uh, Dominic team plus three you know 17 winners 11 forced airs, 25 on force for team. But on the backhand, even though Djokovic is minus six, team's minus 15. Djokovic found the backhand just enough. And now you look for Djokovic at some of the stats that he accumulates with this win. Yes, it's his 17th Grand Slam, but just looking at the big picture, Djokovic, and it's kind of stupid, but he's the first player in the open era to win a slam in three different decades now. Rafa could very easily accomplish this come French Open, but that is a cool start to his decade to have done that. You look at what the big three have now accomplished. They've won 13 slam titles in a row. That's their second longest streak. They won 18 from the 05 Roland Garros to the 09 Wimbledon, 17 of those 18 coming from Fed or Rafa. Uh, you look for the big four, had a streak of 16 slams from the 2010 Australian Open to the 2013 U.S. Open. If not for Del Potro in 09, the big four, one of would have won 35 single slams in a row. All of those stats coming from at Ricky Diminator, uh, from Ricky Diamond at Diminator. Uh, and, you know, there was some discussion on tennis Twitter, take it with a grain of salt, but about Pete Sampras and how he must be feeling to just see these guys race past him so immediately. And it's like, hey, I got 14. Like, I was pretty good at the time. Uh, and that's maybe a discussion for some different point. But for Novak Djokovic, you know, we talked about this during the week, 17 slams now. He's three away from Fed, two away from Rafa, but six away from Serena. When he looks like this on a on a hard court, he lost three total sets for the entire slam once again, and it didn't even feel like he was playing his absolute best tennis at any point. You just, it, the number 20 just seems so obtainable for Novak at this point. Oh, yeah. I mean, we talked about this, like you mentioned, um, what was that, a few pods ago now, and absolutely obtainable. I mean, I think right now Djokovic definitely the favorite to come out ahead um, in terms of the Grand Slam race between Federer, Nadal, um, and Djokovic. And then when you take Serena into the equation, I mean, yes, Serena could win a couple more, but Djokovic's form has been incredible, especially compared to Serena um, on her comeback. I, I don't know. I think Djokovic absolutely reaches 20, beats you know Nadal and Federer, and then also passes Serena. I mean, it's hard to bet against him at this point. Yeah, I think let's save that for good take, bad take, hot take, because we can re-examine whether that is the smart take or not when we get to that point. But it's it's definitely going to be something to monitor. And uh, as a little transition stat, there have been 11 different winners in the last 13 singles majors on the WTA circuit. <clears throat> For the men's side, you would have to go back 67 majors to have 11 different winners. That comes from uh, John Wertheim at Sports Illustrated. That's remarkable. That speaks to the dominance of the Federers, of the Djokovic's, of the Nadal's, and throw in some Andy Murray, Stan Wawrinka love in there as well as they both have three slams. 
It's a, it's yeah. Novak Djokovic continues to show this sort of form, this sort of res, sort of resiliency. Uh, it's a testament to why he has been so good in this era of the big three. Why you know, despite Rafa and Roger putting together what was easily two of the most intimidating careers at the start of his career, he's been able to the rise to that level to meet that sort of uh, excellence. And it it's why it's such a fun thing to experience as a fan of tennis to watch this greatness unfold. It's a testament to his success, but I bring up the 11 different winners in the last 13 majors on the WTA side. We had another new winner there at this Australian Open, 21-year-old American Sophia Kennan, who looked so good on her run to this final. She had dropped one set on the way there. She knocked off Ashley Barty in a topsy-turvy semifinal. Uh, She ultimately took that one, I believe, 7-6-7-5 in that, decided to set up a match with two-time slam champion Garbine Muguruza, who after losing her first two sets of the tournament uh, had looked so good the rest of the way. She knocked off a very much informed Simona Halep, 7-6-7-5 in her semifinal win. And this was an exciting final from the start. Uh, this match going three sets, Sophia Kennan ultimately emerging as a 4-6-6-2-6-2 champion. What was so incredible, Jamie, is we talked beforehand, Muguruza, the one with the bigger weapons, at six foot, her forehand, her backhand, her swinging volleys, a little more sting than Sophia Kennan. And yet it really did feel like this match was played on Kennan's terms. Yeah, I mean, look, she came in here and she was able to, I don't know if impose is the right word, but at least play the the game that she wanted to play, right? The game that had gotten her this deep in the tournament. And, um, you know, after that first set, I think... I mean, people have mixed feelings, right? But Muguruza looking solid. She was able to push the issue a little more, play her game style. Um, So, I mean... just phenomenal job by Kennan to be able to bounce back, especially in that second set. And then third set, I'm sure we'll get there, but really just riding the momentum, getting the critical game, and then just holding on to the lead. Very impressive from the young American. Yeah, and Garbine Muguruza came out firing. She had a game plan. Sophia Kennan, a good mover, especially if you give her balls in the center. It's not only her movement, but the way she moves the ball around the court into the outer third. She plays slice. She plays drop shot. She plays lob. She's not going to let you get comfortable. She'll take two shots cross in one line just to get you out of your rhythm. And yet Garbine came out swinging, in particular in that first set. I thought her use of the serve and volley uh, was something particularly special for uh, Muguruza in that first set in particular. You look at her stats on the match, 16 of 24 at the net overall, but in set number one, she goes 10 of 14. So, you know, 6 of 10 the rest of the way, but in that 10 of 14, 71%. She didn't let Kennan make that extra, you know, third, fourth, fifth ball and let that one lob that you think, okay, maybe this one's drifting out, drop in that Kennan hit so much, uh, so often later on in the match. Muguruza came out swinging. She came out dictating 15 winners against 17 unforced errors, but against Kennan in that first set, nine winners for Kennan against 15 unforced errors. It did feel like Muguruza was going to have enough power to work Sophia Kennan uh, to you know overwhelm her, to hit her off the court, but we talked about it all week long with Kennan. It's death by a thousand paper cuts. She just makes that extra ball. She makes you think, okay, maybe the drop shot's coming here, and then it's actually a backhand slice that goes deep. Her variety, Jamie, it overwhelmed Muguruza. And in the end, you know, that two-all game in the third set we can talk about in a second. But it was that Kennan did just enough to uh, to wear Muguruza down. 
Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned the variety. I think that's a great point because, um, you know, it's a similar thing to how we see Ash Barty really disrupt people's rhythms. That's how she's gotten and ascended to the top of the game. It's because, you know, a lot of these, so many of these players, I mean, Muguru is a great ball striker. You know, if you're giving her shots and rhythm from the ground, you're in trouble. Um, and she was able to get a lot of those in the first set. You know, granted, she just played very cleanly as well. But I think Kenan really, you know, looked introspectively and said look all right what do i need to do here like i need to impose my game of being you know i love i love a good crafty game so being a little craftier right mixing things up throwing in the variety not just giving muguruza the same looks and once she was able to execute on that i mean not this match was over but she's in a much better place and she's got to feel like she's in some control in the first set, the shot that Muguruza used particularly well to set up those swinging volleys was the backhand down the line taking that ball early and even though she had success with that, that was the play Kenan kept forcing her into. It's, okay, you want to move forward, you're going to have to take a backhand down the line because between the slice and just the heavy spin, the short angle, Kenan kept targeting that Muguruza backhand side. And Muguruza in the match, three winners, eight forced errors, but 17 unforced errors on that backhand side. She goes minus six there overall. She started pressing then more on the forehand side. 11 winners, six forced airs, but 18 unforced airs to be minus one on the forehand, minus six on the backhand. Compared to a Sophia Kennan, who in this match is plus one on her forehand, but plus nine on her backhand side, she was the more solid of the two players. She forced Muguruza into errors. She forced Muguruza, as I mentioned, to start pressing. And then overall, you look in the match, the winners and unforced errors reflect that. Kennan in this match, 28 winners against 23 unforced errors. Muguruza, 32 winners, but 45 unforced errors. And, you know, when it's crunch time, when the pressure's at its highest in these Grand Slam finals, oftentimes it comes down to who can be the more solid player of the two, who can execute their plays without forcing them, you know, without forcing it, without drawing, or without um, giving too many unforced errors to the opponent. Kennan was the one who was the more solid of the two. She wore Muguruza down. She didn't let her just tee off on forehands. I keep mentioning it, but it would go two backhand line, one or two backhand cross, one backhand line, or forehand cross, then forehand short angle to open up an on-the-rise forehand uh, for herself down the line. It was all working for Sophia Kennan, and it's why I think so many people are now so excited about the young 21-year-old's future. Oh, definitely. I mean, you have to be. And, and something she did a really good job of, too, is just knowing when to apply pressure to Muguruza. And throughout the match, she learned you know more and more how to do it. So particularly in that third set, um, really, really focusing in on the Muguruza second serve. Um, did a great job of returning here. Muguruza only wins 20% of her second serve points in the third set. Um, and that's a testament to Kenan being able to put that much pressure on her and put her in difficult spots right at the beginning of the rally so that Muguruza isn't in a comfortable position anymore. She can't just dictate on her first shot after the return. No, she's in some awkward situation. Kenan can either wrangle control of the rally or Muguruza is just in an odd spot, not able to hold her serve. And, and ultimately, Kenan keeps getting breaks, um, runs away with the third. And we talked about this all week long with Sophia Kennan, how effective it's not just her first serve, but her second serve. She's over 50% in all of her matches, wins 65% of her second serve points. In this one against Muguruza, wins 64% of her first serves, makes 74% of those first serves. Now, to Muguruza's credit, she had her chances. Two of 12 on break points versus Kennan's five of six, 
But again, it's because Kennan kept chipping away. The game I wanted to mention, that two-all game in the third set, Muguruza races out to a 15-40 lead. Kennan plays one of those long points where it's short angle, short angle, make a backhand slice. And I believe the two mistake or the two ways she won the point was she opened up a forehand down the line for herself, and she forced a Muguruza backhand down the line error. And those were the two plays that worked for her the most. Get Muguruza in trouble. Keep making that extra ball. You know, how many times did we watch Muguruza in lieu of taking taking an overhead to watch a forehand lob or just a stretch get from Kennan bounce right on the baseline and just drop in. And it's a testament to the grinding mentality of Sophia Kennan, who at age 21 now, you talk about the list of players uh, on the women's side, born 1990 or later, who have won Grand Slams. All of these players, you know, either 30 or under at this point. Kvitova's won two, Muguruza's won two, Halep's won two, Osaka's won two, Ostapenko, Stevens, Wozniacki, Barty, Andrescu, and Kennan now all winners, you know, and all still playing very competitive tennis to win majors in this decade right now. It's why uh, I got to stop revealing my takes, but if I told you we're going to have another year of four different Grand Slam champions this year on the WTA Tour, I feel like that's not shocking at all because Kennan now puts herself right on that list up there with all of these players who have shown they're capable of winning a Grand Slam. Yeah, and look, we've talked about it multiple times. We talked about it certainly um, just casually when we're looking at the draw. There are so many threats in the women's game right now. You're looking at the draw. I mean, there's just a gauntlet for anybody to get through. Um, that's why you're looking at that's a, that's a tough seed. That's a tough unseeded match. Oh, God, the, you know, this person has to be X, Y, Z just to get to the semis. I mean, everywhere you look, there's danger um, on that side. And, and there hasn't, there isn't somebody right now who has asserted themselves like a Djokovic in the women's draw, just waiting to pounce on whoever comes out through the other side. Right. And so it makes it exciting, right? Because at the beginning of the, at the beginning of the tournament, midway through, you still don't know who's going to win. There's still so many people who you, who you think, wow, they could take the title. Um, and this is just another example of that with Kenan taking it here. I mentioned that stat about the players born in 1992 to win slams that came from Gaspar Lenza. Um, I mentioned the 11 different winners in 13 majors on the WTA side. You even look at the slam semifinalists from the start of the 2010 season through this Australian Open. 15 different semifinalists on the men's side, 34 different on the women's side. That comes from at Enrico Maria Riva. Uh, for Sophia Kennan, she becomes the youngest American to win a slam since Serena, the youngest Australian Open champ since Sharapova won it in 2008. She's going to jump up to number seven in the rankings, the youngest American to make a top 10 debut since 1999. She adds herself uh, to a list. The, here's a fun stat for you. The list of female players to win their first Grand Slam title, having never reached a Grand Slam quarterfinal before. From 1980 to 2016, Jamie, guess how many uh, WTA players did it? Outside of Kennan? Uh, no, no, from two, 1980 to 2016. 16. Oh, 2016, not included now, sorry. Um, let's say four. So from 1980 to 2016, <clears throat> only one WTA player made their won their first title having never reached a quarterfinal before. From 2017 to now, we've had four different players do it. It speaks to the fact that there are so many of these young WTA players right now who are displaying a, a level capable of winning a Grand Slam. It's why I think you know one of my takes from earlier in the tournament, Diana Yastrzemska. If we see her make a semifinal this year, you know I don't think it should shock anyone. If we see Iga uh, Svitek make a semifinal, I don't think it should shock anyone. Even 
if we see Donna Vekic at age 23 make a semifinal, that shouldn't shock anyone. And those are three, you know, random players. None of them, not random, but none of them top 10 players, I should say. And that speaks to the depth right now on the WTA. But it speaks to uh, the level Sophia Kennan displayed throughout this tournament. She dropped two sets, that 7-6 set to Coco Goff, and then the 6-4 first set here to Muguruza. Jamie, Sophia Kennan has gone on sort of a victory tour on Twitter. It's fun. You know, you see all the videos. The video of her in Kleisters, that one's incredible. Uh, the video of her, Andy Roddick, just all of these things. And it's a well-deserved victory tour. Oh, absolutely. And it's, I don't know, it's got to be so cool to be there and, you know, obviously so jealous, right, to have those aspirations to be around the game for so long since you were so young, building and building and building toward this. Literally exactly this is what you're building toward. And obviously she still has so much more of a career and so many more great things to come. But, I mean, that's just got to be a phenomenal feeling, being able to look back and say, all right, I'm here, right? I'm top 10. I just want to slam. Like, we're here. That's got to feel pretty good. I can only imagine. Yeah, I mean, Sophia Kennan, career high number seven. She deserves to be. That she's not, you know, she wins a Grand Slam and she's not number, you know, three, four. Uh, that speaks to the parody right now on the WTA Tour. Uh, but for Sophia Kennan, it, it's someone who took advantage of the moment. Simona Halep was looking great. Muguruza hit her off the court. You know, Ashley Barty, it's her hometown slam. She was playing better and better. Kennan does just enough uh, to survive that match. Coco Goff, the tell story. Kennan loses the first set. Doesn't matter. Enough skills to survive that match. She just did enough to survive. And it was... It was such an impressive run for her to see it on a hard court. You know, she had success last year on clay, on grass as well. Her game is adaptable to every surface. And so, you know, I don't do I, is she going to win another slam in 2020? Maybe, maybe not. But she certainly can, and that's a testament to her level, you know, of all of the Americans who haven't won a slam yet. The Keyses of the world, Anissa Mova, who looked so good last year. Sophia Kennan can now say, I'm a Grand Slam champion. And, of course, uh, as I mentioned, her social media tour, she is certainly a winner from this event. That gets us to our next thing we want to talk about here on today's show. Our winners and losers from this Australian Open. Obviously, you know, you look at the men's and women's champion. They are obvious winners. You look at some of the other uh, winners throughout this draw in the men's doubles. Rajiv Ram, Joe Salisbury, two former college tennis players, Rajiv at Illinois, Joe at Memphis. Uh, They take home their first men's doubles Grand Slam title uh, for Salisbury. Uh, He was outside the top 100, I think, like a year or two ago. So to get this Grand Slam title now for both of these guys, a huge moment in their careers. Uh, In the women's doubles, to me, a Babos uh, Kiki Mladenovic, they take home the doubles titles, uh, title. They continue their success from the end of last season. In the mixed doubles uh, final, I'm going to butcher these pronunciations for sure, uh, but Barbara Krechkova and Nikola Metditch knock off Jamie Murray and Bethany Maddox-Sands to bring home the title for themselves. Uh, really fun event, Jamie. You look at some of your winners and losers. Let's start with the winners. Who do you have as some of your winners coming out of the year's first major? Yeah, I mean, I think number one for me, um, we'll start on the men's side, Zverev. Um, I think this is a this was a really good tournament for him. Um, there was, obviously, there's just been so much chatter about Zverev really not living up to what he should have. Um, he breaks through, gets to the Australian Open semis, um, plays a really competitive match with Dominic Team. Just, I mean, more than anything, just proving that he belongs out there, reminding everybody, you know, why he is who he is, why he's ascended to the top of the game and has been there and established himself for the last few years. No, it's not just that he's able to rack up, you know, just have some success, but not on a big stage. No, this guy deserves to be on the big stage and he belonged out there. So that was a big one for me. Good to see, of course, reassuring for, for a young guy. Can we just clarify? 
Our listeners uh, know that I am a big Alex Vera fan. I didn't even have him as a winner. I didn't need to. I figured someone else would. Echo that take 100%. Alex Vera, after the ATP Cup performance he had to make a Grand Slam semifinal for the first time in his career, after that performance to serve as well as he did to really have a chance to beat Dominic Team. He lost a couple of tiebreakers in that match. He uh, went down early break in the second set, but had break points to get that back to five all. His, you know, he sort of did, I'll say a .85 version of what Djokovic did to Team, and in that match, Team had enough firepower, enough creativity to get through, but Alex Virov is probably three or four points going a different way away from making his first Grand Slam final of his career. So yes, echo your sentiment 100%. He is a winner. I got a fun one for you here, all right? Um, Zverev, you're a Zverev man yourself. What do you think his win-loss is in Grand Slams? Just give me a Overall? Give me, yes, overall. <sighs> give me something. So I think he's probably played around 20, right? He's probably played around 20 total, so he's probably got 20 losses. It's pretty close, yes. 19. Okay, so 19 losses. I'm going to go ahead and say he's... Wow, this is going to be embarrassing, but like 38 and 19. That is close. That is remarkably close. 37 and 19. For 37. Zverev. Very close. Now, just, just to compare it, just for fun here, you know, we talk about a guy, Dominic Team. What do you think? I'll give you the loss 25. Yeah, see, I appreciate that because you tell me how many majors he's played. Then it's almost a cheat code. Although I kind of, I, I could, I could have guessed he'd played around that range. Um, but hey, that's why they paid me the big bucks, right, Jamie? Uh, hey, great shot, a little sneak day. I just wanted to see your face because we're on video. Um, who? So if he's got twenty five losses, he's made three finals, he's made a semifinal. But outside of that, he, I'm gonna say. So my thing for joke or for Zverev, I was like, he's probably average third round, so it's probably a two to one ratio for team i'm gonna knock it up i'm gonna say it's a three to one ratio so if he's got 25 win uh loss i'm gonna say 75 wins actually quite lower 60 it's not much higher the win wins. percentage is closer to zverev than people think right is he 60 and 25 71 percent uh zverev like you wow. mentioned that two to one 66 percent so a little closer i you know hey that's just pro zverev for you you're welcome <laughs> i butchered that because team and wimbledon i forgot to factor that in that grass is not a uh, surface that grass is not always greener for team am i right <laughs> Oh, that's pretty good. All right, no, I like the stats. I'm going to throw in a winner for me as well. I mentioned anyone who watched semifinal weekend and onwards because we were treated to some fantastic tennis. I'm going to also throw a little flyer out there for Adidas. I mean, Garbine Muguruza rocking the Adidas gear. Dominic Team rocking the Adidas gear. They were both finalists, but... I thought their gear was really nice. You know, Simona Halep, I'm pretty sure she's another Adidas athlete as well. I think uh, you look, I'm trying to think who else were our semifinalists. Uh, Zverev's an Adidas guy, I think, as well. So they had a bunch of uh, people up there. And then on the men's side, for Adidas to have two semifinalists versus Nike, who had no semifinalists. I also thought the subtlety of the Adidas, the green, the blue, the dark colors that they use. I also like the women's kits as well. I thought Muguruza was rocking some fantastic gear throughout her run. Win for Adidas. I, I, the shoes are still too heavy for me, so I'll never lean that way. You know, I'm more of a diadem guy myself, and hopefully you, our Cracked Rackets fans, are as well. And if you use our promo code CR50, you can get 50% off your diadem order. But I do want to give a shout-out to Adidas because they looked good to start the 2020 season. Yeah, Adidas had us in a good spot. Probably, you know, didn't quite get the run from a guy like Sitsipas that they were expecting. But outside of that, sure. some good stuff showing up deep in the didn't tournament. Didn't need it. 
I'm just saying, are you going to walk into your tennis club wearing that subtle, you know, Alex Vera of Adidas shirt or the, you know, 101 Dalmatians jumpsuit that Grigor Dimitrov was rocking? Honestly, if I could pull off the 101 Dalmatians, I'd probably just wear that. But no, Adidas, <laughs> those guys look good. Hey, they, they usually do. Yeah. They usually do. I'll say this. Right now, it's Diadem 1, big drop. It used to be then Nike. But Adidas is sneaking up right next to Nike. Right next to- wow. What about, you know, we're talking outfits here. Uh, sort of in the winner-loser category. I think he's probably both in this one. Tennis Sandgren. What do you think of the outfit of Tennis Sandgren? Well, I mean, he's a winner. Let's take the tennis out of it. Well, uh, take the tennis out of tennis. So who am I talking about? Um, uh-huh. Well, just with an I, not a Y. You know what I yeah. Mean? Um, I mean, yeah. If you make the quarterfinals, do whatever you got to do. You start the tournament at number 100. You jump all the way back into the top 55. You've earned the right to go sleeveless, my friend. Yeah, I mean, that's sweet. And it's so funny, too, the the commentators. This is cracking me up. He had iron-on patches for people who approached him um, and wanting to sponsor him because they knew he had that quarterfinal primetime matchup with Federer, and that just cracked me up to see um, in a Grand Slam quarterfinal. But, yeah, hey, he looked good. Um, Was it you who said he looks just like White Goodman? You texted me that, I don't know if I texted you that. Um, I'm pretty sure I had a more descriptive and longer, like, non-character thing. We won't won't repeat, but— I don't. Someone texted me. I don't remember who it was. So shout out to them. I will look through my text. But that was spot on. You look at them with the mustache. Sandgren was rocking and just the sleeveless look. He wasn't a spare me, Roger. Yeah. I'm gonna win this match. Ball me, <laughs> Blazer. Tournament. Freaking Roger Federer. Yeah. No, he was there. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it, good result for tennis. All right. I have one more winner, but I'm gonna use that to segue into our take. So give me your last winner, or if you have no more, let's start running into some losers. Tennis was my tennis was my last winner. I just had to segue because right, you were I, I talking actually, outfits. Well, no. I, yeah, I appreciate that. I'll I'll throw in one more winner. We should say anyone who used their platform throughout this Australian Open, from Djokovic, Kyrgios, uh, you know, the Simona Halbs, the top players of the world, all the way through to anyone who used the tennis to contribute and bring attention to the fact that Australia was in such need of attention of people to donate their time, their resources for relief for the disastrous wild funds. I don't remember the exact number, but I know it was hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, donated to the cause throughout this, you know, Federer, uh, Djokovic, Nadal, all giving big uh, contributions themselves. But, you know, it was millions of players. It was, you know, from all the way, the Sidney Campbells of the world. uh, I'm trying to think. uh, Too many to keep track of is the truth. I don't want to not mention anyone, so I want to simply say shout out to all of them for using tennis again to show what the good the game can do, not just on the court, but off the court, what these athletes, how well-rounded they are, how worldly they are. That is part of tennis being a global experience played throughout the world at all times during the world so shout out to that uh that was really cool all right let's get into the losers jamie who you know not as not as cool with their performances oh man well this really starts to blend with some of my bad takes unfortunately um because you know when you put faith in somebody (laughs) i agree can i just say my loser like echo that a hundred percent it was my turnitopia selections yes there we go biggest loser uh me (laughs) honestly um no i mean except for the fact that i got Djokovic team to make the final it's like okay if you miss everything else but get those two right isn't it okay yeah fair enough no i think that's fair um there's a lot of places to go with this one i i think 
maybe the biggest one, at least up front, the biggest shock factor, uh, Denis Shapovalov. Um, I know you can list a lot of first round people becoming that that's sort of, I want to say a cop out, but it's an easy answer in a lot of ways. You know, if they don't have a good showing in a first round matchup, yeah, they're not going to, they're not going to be happy with the result, but this one just seems too, I guess, um, big to not mention. I mean, Denis Shapovalov was coming in with momentum. You and I both thought he was looking really good. A guy super dangerous on the hard courts and, ultimately just was not able to put up a good performance. Yeah, it was rough for him, some of the other ones. FAA, Miomir um, Kasmanovic. Uh, I, I still feel good about the Opelka upset over Fodnini. We are a rain delay from that, I think, happening. So I'm not going to throw that in the bad takes, but, you know, Madison Keys or Carolina Pliskova, yeah, Federer losing early. And, you know, there are some takes I certainly... I don't re- regret Kyrgios over Nadal. I love talking... I'm talking about the things I regret while actually saying, no, these are the things I don't regret. Uh, but, yeah, there there were some bad picks out there for sure. But it's early. It's the first Grand Slam and in general that, you know, on the men's side, I think we knew it was Djokovic's to lose and that he didn't. That was the over the overarching narrative I think a lot of people got right. I also think the overarching narrative on the women's side, did people think it was going to be Kenan? Uh, no, I don't, I don't think anyone can, maybe a few people out there, but you know, threw money on that bet. But you know, I don't think anyone can probably say that. I think we can say that we knew there were going to be, it, it could be anyone. It could be one of 50 players and that it was Muguruza and Kenan. We, we would have thrown them on that list of 50 players. If you're like, okay, is there a world where they reach the final, you would have said, yeah, sure. You know, I see them both playing well enough to do that, but it's a testament to those two as well. See, we're talking about—it's funny. We talk about losers. We turn it into winning. That's the sort of positivity we stress here at Crack Rackets. Um, yeah, Turnitopia, loser. Uh, I would say Australian Open time zone I mentioned was a loser for me as well. Any others for you? Um, I think there's a couple. I mean, I think this is sort of a random one, but Yannick Sinner, um, you know, he finds himself. I like he, this I is, like I know this is the same section of the draw here, but this is because let's be real. This section of the draw in, in that bottom part of Fed's quarter was an absolute just nightmare. Um, but I mean, yeah, great for Fuchovic, right? And of course he comes through here with a phenomenal result, ends up making a deep run, taking a set off Fed. Um, but ultimately it's kind of a missed opportunity for a guy like Yannick Center, right? A guy we, we've mentioned the um, sort of the responsibility that's supposed to come with winning that next-gen final title, right? Uh, but then ultimately going up against Fuchovic instead of the 13 seed Shapovalov and ends up losing in straight sets. Now, Fuchovic played really well and ends up, you know, winning and advancing, then going to be play Fed and taking a set off him. But ultimately, I think just a bit of a missed opportunity. Yeah, my Another good one to throw on that list as well. There are a couple of next-gen guys you could throw in there for Tsitsipas. You know, I'm sure he did. This is not how he wanted to start his season either. Um, for me, and this gets, you know, I'll use this point to get to my last winner and get us into uh, some other takes we have. But, you know, any of the WTA players over the age of 25, because you look at these 24 and unders right now, Jamie, and just the, uh, how talented they are. Ashley Barty, Belinda Bencic, Bianca Andreescu, Sophia Kennan, Naomi Osaka, uh, all under the age of 25. And by the way, you know, four of them Grand Slam champions, not Bencic. But you look at Sabalenka, the success she's had. Von Trusova's made a Grand Slam final. Donna Vekic, Karolina Mukova, Diana Yastremska, Anisa Mova, Yelena Ostapenko, she has a Grand Slam under her belt. Iga Swiatek, uh, Coco Goff, you know, just... The list goes on and on and on. And so, you know, Halep, Muguruza, Sloan Stevens, they have their slam titles. And I'm not saying they're going to not compete for any more, 
But if you're a Karolina Pliskova, if you're an Alina Svitolina, I, I think Benchich is still young enough to not be thrown in that category. But, you know, the Kiki Burtons of the world, obviously the Madison Keys of the world, the Joe Contas, you're getting nervous. You know, you are awfully nervous that that window is closing. And I'm not saying it's closed because I picked Carolina Pliskova and Madison Keys as my finalists. And had you told me that's the, you know, had we played this 2020 Australian Open 100 times, I, I'm very sure there's a world where the two of them do make the finals. But you have to be nervous if you're one of those players. And it, it's crazy that like 24 is the age cutoff because of how good so many young players are. I didn't mention CeCe Bellis, who you could throw in there as well if you wanted. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Look, the, the bottom line is this. The pressure's on, right? The pressure is absolutely on. And there's so many <clears throat> so many phenomenal players that you just listed out there. And the hard truth is, because there's so much talent coming up that's young currently, a lot of those names might not ever win one because there's so much talent. So it, it really becomes, oh, which one of us is going to be able to win a title or two? Because realistically, I would be very surprised if all the names you just listed ended up with with you know, winning a major in their time, because like you mentioned, there's so much young talent bubbling up and they're already to contend for titles. They're, they're already taking titles at this point. Um, and so, like you said, windows closing for sure. There's got to be pressure there. Yeah. And that's why you look at my last winner from this tournament. It's fans of American women's tennis, because, you know, e- even if you don't want to include Madison Keys, Kennan, now a Grand Slam champion. We saw CeCe Bellis return from injury, make the third round look really good in doing so. Uh, Amanda Nisimova, Coco Goff, obviously uh, two players who have stood out in their young careers. Katie McNally's looked really good as well. Uh, you, you, you know, you can go on and on and on with all these talented young women. And so it's a really fun time to be a fan of American women's tennis. Uh, and, and I think that's a, a good place to be and a good place to get into our transitions because we've had a lot of takes involving American women's tennis, a lot of takes in general throughout these uh, two weeks of the Australian Open. It's been a really fun time. Some of the takes good, some of the takes not as good. And that's a perfect segue to get into our final segment on today's show, our good take, bad take, hot takes. We gave a lot of takes throughout these two weeks of the Australian Open, some good, some not so good. So I want to reflect on those, give some takes we have moving forward through the rest of this. 2020 season, but the first take I want to throw at you, which involves those American women I'm talking about, and again, just to go through the list of promising players right now in or around that top 50, Serena, Keys, Kennan, Anisimova, Sloan, Ali Risk, Danielle Collins, Coco Goff, Jennifer Brady, CeCe Bellis, of course, coming back from injury. Uh, my take to you, good, bad, or hot, Jamie, seven American women will end the, AT, uh, the WTA 2020 season inside the top 30. Inside the top 30. Wow. Ooh, that is tough. Um, top th- I thought you were going to give me, I thought you were going to give me a little more leeway than 30. And I was no, because 50, I think is obvious. I, you know, for golf, for Bellis, it's like, can they play enough tournaments, stay healthy? Uh, if so, you think they can do it for Collins, for risk. They've done that for Sloan. If she gets her stuff together, obvious do it. Anise Mova just did it. Um, you know, Serena keys, Kennan, uh, feel like locks for sure. Ah, seven. But seven's a lot. Seven's a lot. I'm going to say, and what point is this? About is it 25%. Is this, is this at the end of 2020 or is it any point? End of 2020 season. End of 2020. I'm going to be a lot of points. Yeah, I was about to say, I'm going to be a pessimist. I'm going to say no. Uh, but I will say this. Uh, no, I don't need a yes or no. I need, is it a good take, a bad take, or a hot take? Well, I didn't finish. I said no <laughs> if Sloan doesn't get there. Um, so in my head, I'm thinking seven and in the top 30 it's not a bad take uh but i don't agree with it 
I think it's, it's hot. hot take. It's a hot take, but I don't agree with it. Yeah. All right. I can appreciate that. Yeah. It would require a lot of alley risk. She's in the top 30, but a ton of points to defend at the end of the year. Uh, you know, for Anisimova, a lot of good results for her came at the slams. Can she do it week in, week out? Can she repeat her success at the slams? For Goff, same thing. You know, Kennan. She starts off with a bang, but a lot of points to defend for her for the rest of the year. Is there going to be a Serena drop-off? Danielle Collins, Jennifer Brady, are they going to make the leap uh, from that top 50 to the top 30 range? A lot of things have to go right, but again, American women's tennis, I think, is in the position where a lot of things can go right because we have a lot of talented players. All right, either another take from you or some takes you'd like to reflect on. I got a perfect one for you there. Um staying along the same lines this is good um and viewers by the way we didn't even review these beforehand so wow it's just working clicking here there will be another female slam winner from the u.s in 2020 good take bad take hot take Ooh. i mean it's a hot take just because of how many other talented players there are like i if i said okay ben chich pliskova and Sabalenka are going to win the next three slams. You'd be like, yeah, sure, I believe that. If I said, you know, uh, Halep uh, and Dorescu and, you know, Vekic win the next three, you'd be like, yeah, I believe that. And none of those players are American. But I could also say, or, you know, I could say, hey, Keys, uh, you know, Sloan got it back and Serena won the next three. You'd be like, yeah, I believe that too. So not a bad take. A hot take, because American tennis uh, on the women's side looks really good, but there are so many other good players as well. I feel like we did do a lot of reflecting in those winners and losers that a lot of our takes were pretty bad. I thought your take of the winners from the single side will come from the same country was a really good take in the moment. It just unfortunately didn't end up happening. Um you know, I think we hit the Tiafo takes on the head. Uh, one of my good take, bad take, hot takes is he's going to drop outside the top 100. But, I, you know, he had that loss at Newport Beach as well. But we can talk about him at a later point. Let's stick with this theme of Grand Slam champions. I mentioned it earlier. Good take, bad take, hot take. We will have another season of four different WTA singles Grand Slam champions in 2020. Sorry, to clarify, does that mean different as in never have won before or unique to 2020? Unique to 2020. Okay. So it could be a previous winner. Can be Halep, can be Serena, can be Andrescu. Osaka, I'm going to say yes. It just I'm going to say that's a good Kennedy. take. Yes, that's a good take. I think that's okay. the case. There's, like right. you mentioned, and there's so the many people, so many people who can win. It's, it's honestly, I mean, you're playing some crazy odds unless you think one person is really going to step it up um, and, and separate themselves from the rest of the field in multiple majors. No, I think that's a good take. All right, I like it. All right, well, I have a couple more for you, but throw one at me. Okay, all right, let's uh, let's switch over. Are you good if we switch over to the men's side? I know we've been on the I know we've been on the WTA side for a minute. Then, do you want another? Then I'll do you throw want another? I'll, no. I'll throw in my last women's one, and I threw this take at you beforehand, so you knew it was coming, but I haven't heard your answer yet. Sophia Kennan. We've talked about all of her tools, the slices, the lobs, the drop shots, how funky she is out there. She just gets you out of your rhythm. Sophia Kennan is the female Daniil Medvedev. Good take, bad take, hot take. That's a good take. In terms of tennis playing style. That's a good take. Yeah. No, I like that. Um, yeah, I see a lot of similarities there. Um, just the, her unorthodox ability to win points. Um, you definitely see the grit that they both have. Um, they both can get fired up like crazy, but then can also just be locked in and get annoyed with themselves. It's, yeah, there's a lot of similarities there. It's a good take. Sneaky effective serves, 
both like the drop shot more than you think. Um, I would say Kenan's strokes are a little more aesthetically pleasing. Uh, you know, that Medvedev forehand, you're like, ugh, what am I looking at? Um, and, you know, every time he bends his knees for a backhand to get low, I'm just envious as well. Um, but I, I just see a lot of similarities. Yeah, they, they, make you, they make you uncomfortable. Absolutely. That's how they win. Um, and so, yeah, no, that's a good take. I like that comparison. All right. I appreciate it. Well, then, in the theme of good takes, get us to the men. That's a good, that's actually a great segue because one of mine involves Medvedev. So here's the take. Two Russian men will end up in the top 10 at the end of 2020. Ooh. Ooh. I mean, yeah, it's a good take. It's a little hot. It, what you're saying there is that Rublev's start is legitimate and that all the points he has to defend in the second half of the season, he can do, you're, or, or at least make up for it in the front half. You're also saying, hey, Daniil Medvedev, you need to make, what was it, like seven finals yes. in seven tournaments well, you at in least need to hold on. the season, yeah. and there can be no slip-up. Yeah, you just have to hold on to so many points. Finals of the Rogers Cup, winning in Cincinnati, finals of the U.S. Open, finals of the City Open crazy to think about that run uh, in retrospect and, and let's say he can drop a little bit and still remain in the top 10 yeah. but yes but what if what if this is the year's vr of like you know enough funny business i'm making quarterfinals or better at all of the slams you know we still haven't seen a big cc boss push in 2020 uh i think i saw someone right now showed the atp world tour finals if the season ended today and cc boss wasn't in it Berrettini wasn't in it um uh Bad take, not bad take, hot take, but I, I don't think it's going to happen because, you know, I think if Medvedev, even if Medvedev does it, uh, you know, or if even if Rublev does it, it, it would be hard for both of them to and Hatchnov. He'll be right on that bubble as well. So hot take, but not a bad take at all. Um, all right, let's stick with Medvedev on that theme. We talked about him making a final. Uh, this is a two-part good take, bad take, hot take for you. Part part one, Medvedev. Medvedev came closer to beating Rafa than team did to beating Djokovic. And part two, the next non-big three ATP singles player to win a slam will not be named Dominic team. Both of those, good take, bad take, hot take. Um, first one, I think... Uh, first one, I think, is a good take. I think you can see it both ways, but ultimately, he was up two sets to love. Um, so... He's in a good spot there, right? That's that's a whole nother comeback um, that, that somebody has to mount against. I mean, team was very close, and that's what you know. I, I want to be careful. I don't want to just completely have a recency bias here. Well, here's the thing: that fifth set for Medvedev was. I mean, I, I think it was seven five fifth, right? That Rafa ended up winning, but that was an either or. That was hey, who's got more left in the tank? I, I know they both broke serve in that set. I you know Medvedev at six six had the way it, it, after the way because he was down two sets. To yeah, I guess I yeah I answered your question the wrong way. way Sorry, your part one is that Medvedev was closer than team. Okay, yes. in that case, yeah, Medvedev. I might have to flip flop on myself here. Because he got down the two sets to love, but then he came back and had the momentum. Then he had those two sets where he, he had the had momentum. He had the momentum. That's, exactly. the, that's the difference. Even when team went up two sets to one, and even though the crowd was on team's side, 
he, you know, he didn't break Djokovic in sets th- four or five. For Medvedev to claw his way back from two sets to love in the physical way he did to break down Rafa, the same way team was breaking down Djokovic through the f- first three sets. But, you know, Medvedev did it in set three, set four, and you're just like, how, you know, how can Rafa, you know, where's he going to come up with the goods now? And that he was able to was a testament to the match. The reason why I bring it up is because, you know, Dominic team played outstanding tennis all tournament long, right? And I'm hoping to write about this uh, very topic uh, for our Crack Rackets listeners, for our Crack Rackets fans on our website as part of uh, my new gig as this for this Crack Rackets team, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, but, you know, for Dominic team, his best surface is still probably clay, right? And we talked about it all week long. Roland Garros is Rafa's until he loses it. You know, I'm not. You're not going to believe Dominic Team's going to beat him there until he actually beats him there. But if you told me a Medvedev or a Zverev or like a Kyrgios takes 2020 really seriously and just is in really good form, or just another one of those young guys wins the U.S. Open and it's not Team, I don't think that would surprise me. Like I, I know Team played really well, so that's why in terms of good take, bad take, hot take. I think a lot of guys are pretty close. Let's say Tsitsipas just trees yeah, at Wimbledon. Say. Like, isn't there? A, yeah, exactly. There's a world where that happens as well. So that's why I'm curious. Good take, bad take, hot take. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think that's a bad take at all. I'm I'm fine with that. I'm fine with even saying that's a good take because there are so many. Obviously, it's not the WTA, but there's there are a lot of guys. Um, you know, ultimately they have to pass the final test of beating one of the big guys. Most likely, um, it would be a really weird path if they didn't. Um, and so. Yeah, I mean, you've got Tsitsipas, like you said, you got Medvedev or team, but we, even if you take them out of the equation, there are other guys who are in the hunt there. Someone like a Zverev, who's just fresh off the semifinal taste. Like, there's some other people in that equation. So, no, I, I don't think that's a bad take. I'll say good take. I'll say good take to no, both. I appreciate <laughs> I No, I appreciate that. All right, I have one more for you. How many you got left? Or any left for me? I have one more as well. So, I'll go and then you can finish. Sound good? Well, because we can do hand gestures on the video, yes, you go first and then I will go. Beautiful. Um, <laughs> zero American men end up in the top 20 at the end of the year. Wow. That's rude. That's a rude question. And by the way, I'm glad you're on the theme of American men because that's going to be my last question for you as well. Uh, yeah. Hey, great shot. Um, wow. And, and, and to preface this too. So right here's now, why it's a- right now. There's only one in there, and it's Isner at 18. And it's Isner, and he's on the precipice of falling out, and he's got a Miami final to defend as well. Um, ooh, Tiafo's like in the 80s. I mean, Fritz and Opelka are pretty close, and Opelka's got that New York Open title coming off his resume soon, but a lot of upside for him, a lot of upside for Fritz, I think, available at the majors this year to get off to his uh, year with a third-round appearance. It's a solid start. <sighs> It it makes me sad to say it, but good take. It's probably a good take. It's tough. It hurts. Yeah, it, it hurts. hurts. But you start looking at the rankings, and you're just like, because well, you're like yeah. Johnson, Query, probably query, not. Query it's could probably got to be, be with could be within could be within strike. Maybe Isner if he finds it back, or or maybe Tommy Paul if he just is healthy all season and just is ATP ready. Very true. He um, got a good taste of it here at the Australian Open. That's true. If this was Vegas, he'd be like the 10 to 1 guy for highest ranked American at the end of the year, and you throw money on him for sure. Um, all right, that's interesting. My take for you, American men's tennis related, my final good take, bad take, hot take. 
Rajiv Ramp gets the first uh, doubles, men's double slam of his career at this Australian Open. He adds it to his title of mixed doubles, uh, which he won at the 2019 Australian Open. He's also a silver medalist in mixed doubles at the Olympics. He's won uh, th- uh, two singles titles in his career. He has won 20 ATP doubles titles in his career now. You measure that up against the career of Sam Query, who has a mixed doubles Grand Slam final. Final to his name has a Masters 1000 doubles title, 10 singles titles uh, in his career, two of which came at the ATP 500 level, five doubles titles in his career for Sam Query, his career high in the singles rankings, number 11 in doubles, number 23 for Rajiv Ram, his career high in the singles ranking, uh, number 56 in doubles, number five in the world, which is what he's at right now. Good take, bad take, hot take. Rajiv Ram has had a better career is so rude. I guess let's not make this a good take, bad take, hot take. Which career would you rather have? The career of Rajiv Ram or the career of Sam Queer? Because they're both outstanding careers, but which would you prefer? I mean, just initial gut check. Initial gut check, you just have to say query, right? Um, because of the notoriety, I mean, think of the wins he said. It, it's because of. I'm ready beca- to. I'm ready to disagree with you, but give me your case first. It's because, well, and it's also think about the fact that you're so close to the game. Think about anybody who's just a little bit more peripheral, right? They probably know Sam Query. They've seen his results. I mean, his prize money um, is much more. Got getting up to eleven, getting up to eleven in singles in the world is. Very impressive. Not to say that Rajiv's number five in doubles isn't, because that's incredible in and of itself. But oh god, that's tough. I, I'm trying to think personally what which sort of life I would rather lead. I mean, playing the doubles game is fun. You have that longevity. You know, he got to play college as well. If you factor all that in, I mean, oh, it's tough. I mean, my initial gut check, you got to say Sam Query, but. I mean, when you look at the number of titles and, and having something like an Olympic medal, having Grand Slam titles. It puts it closer to Rajiv. I don't know. Just remember you factored in Olympic medals when you talk about careers the next time we argue about Andy Murray. I lean towards Rajiv. (laughs) No, 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 no. You said career I'd rather have. Get out of here. I lean towards Rajiv Ram simply because in a culture where slams matter the most, he now has two. Um, you know, they're double slams, but they're still Grand Slam titles. He's got that silver medal to his name as well to represent your country and come out with the silver medal to play with Venus Williams on that stage and talk about an awesome experience. He's a guy who's made the World Tour Finals. He's a top 10 player in the world in doubles at number five. You know, Sam Query reached number 11 in the world. Sam Query's made a Grand Slam semifinal in his career. In fact, you know, that Wimbledon run he had in 2017 to follow it up with the U.S. Open quarterfinals right afterwards. That's, you know, probably the best stretch of time uh, that we had, uh, you know, that we've had of either maybe of these uh, of these two players in terms of singles success or maybe just success on the largest stage. But I want to be top 10 at my craft. I want to be top 5 at my craft. And Rajiv Ram can always say that, he, again, two Grand Slam titles. He's also won ATP singles titles. He was top 60 in the world. It's not like he was just a doubles player. Uh, you know, For anyone who hasn't talked or wants to hear more about Rajiv Ram, many moons ago, I believe Dalton interviewed him uh, on our YouTube channel. I think you can find that there. Uh, I will also say this hurts because Sam Query, an October 7th birthday, according to his Wikipedia, I'm October 6th. 
But I'm going to have to go with Rajiv Ram. Just, you know, those slam titles is the kicker for me. And they both had outstanding careers. Rajiv Ram also an NCAA champion. Um, so he's really done it at all, every level of his career. Singles, doubles, college. He, he's done it all. And so probably lean with Ram. And as someone who also has a very ugly forehand, I just, he relates to me. He calls out to me. It's so difficult. I mean, look, I'd take either of them. Let's put it that way. So if uh, if you're offering them up somehow, I'll take either of them. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm also biased because I'm just such a singles guy. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. I love a good love a good time on the dubs court. But man, um, singles is where singles is where it really all happens for me. So um, even even outside of the fact that you know singles is much more in the public eye um, and in the money than doubles it's about the fact that you know it's the singles court game right and so that's what query has like you said got up to 11 in singles that's impressive it's 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 tough to decide against Rajiv Ram in that case but yeah I, I think I got to go query yeah uh, it's fair uh, you, do you think you let me hold on I got to ask you this do you think either of them if they were asked that question would choose the other person no, Sam Query is just happy being Sam Query. Sam Query no is definitely taking Sam Query. Is Rajiv Ram? Yeah. Is, is Rajiv Ram ever taking Query? I think. Who? We could ask him. We should ask him. I think before <laughs> two days ago, or before yesterday, whenever it was for him, he would have said maybe. But now that he's won, well, he was also a mixed double slam, and that silver medal, I'm sure, means so much to him. Oh yeah. Ooh, man. No, I think they're both pretty happy with where they're at. They're like, nah, as they I'm, should I'm be. good. As they should yeah, be. Yeah, of course, as they should be. Um, and another person who's very happy with where they're at, me, Jamie, as you know, and that gets us to the last thing we want to do. We have a big announcement here at the Cracked Rackets front, and of course that big announcement involves me, so it's only fitting that I say I'm the happy one. There's a little segue for you. I wish you guys could see Jamie's face right now if you're listening to this on podcast form, uh, but it's significant, so we figured we'd make the announcement here. Uh, big news on the Cracked Rackets front. I talked about it a little bit on the mini break, but I am so thrilled to say uh, that I'm getting, I'm you know fortunate enough to get to move to Indianapolis. Uh, for those watching on the YouTube feed, you might notice the I Am Batman poster not currently up on the wall. Haven't had the chance to put it up, nor have I had the chance to shave because throughout the weekend I was finishing things up, and I am now officially in Indianapolis, set up here at CRHQ, aka my house, Daniel Westoff's house, Parker Thienemann's house, uh, because we are really excited to say we are going to be able to take things here uh, to the next level at Cracked Rackets uh, from the play-by-play opportunities we're going to get to have. We were recently in Ann Arbor for the challenger we've got the ita national indoors for both the men and the women coming up as well the kentucky open 100k wta event we're going to be at uh, one week from today uh, so you know we're going to get to go on the road and you know with that we're going to keep these podcasts up hopefully you listeners will notice nothing different other than just even more content we hope we kept it as though an everyday theme that's what we've been trying to do with this mini break uh, but we're really looking forward to taking it to the next level and part of that is as i mentioned being on the ground at tournaments and to do that requires resources so something we're really excited to be launching here at Crack Rackets our Patreon account where we are going to have the chance you know to provide exclusive content to those listeners who are kind enough who are interested in subscribing to our content uh, Jamie I know I just rattled off a lot of things but can, can you talk a little bit about why we want to do this Patreon 
I mean, there's a lot of reasons, right? I mean, I think especially with, and that was very long-winded, so I didn't get a chance to throw in my <laughs> applause there because, um, no, Gruskin deserves it, of course, and uh, it's going to be a ton of fun. But with this move with Gruskin, exactly, we're going to have so much more opportunity to bring more and more content on, really brainstorm the extra creative content. So, yeah, you've been you've been used to seeing the different pods that we've put out. But um, really with this Patreon account setup, what we're going to be able to do is offer new things to you, the listener, right? Um, so a lot of that is going to be, you know, hey, this might not be for you if you don't like hearing Gruskin's voice. I'll just put out that disclaimer now. Um, but if you do, and <laughs> but you why like would they the be take... listening at the? Uh, I feel like they're at the hour ten minute mark of the Great Shot Podcast. You're not listening unless well, you're they just wanted to see me. It's it's really just the viewers <laughs> at this point, and then they mute you when it's your. No, turn. they're no. looking for yeah. They're like it's like a Jill Simone fantasy, right? Exactly. That's me. It's a lot yeah. of viewers across What's the, the thing, world there. <laughs> when you can pay the celebrities to like say something for you, what is that? What is that service called? Um, oh, I don't remember. I believe that's going to be the Gruskin hotline at this point. <laughs> yeah, no, but the well, shout outs. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say that's essentially this. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. And that's, yeah, that's going to be me. Hey, I'm always happy to give somebody a Jill Simone shout out. I'll give my worst impression. I know you've been begging for it for months at this point, but I'm still going to hold out. Maybe if you uh, subscribe um, and take advantage of this new Patreon, you'll get some lovely Jill Simone impressions. Um, You know, we're not at full liberty to disclose what's going to be on some of that extra bonus footage. But um, needless to say, it's going to be a ton of fun, going to be a lot of creative juices flowing, and you're going to get some some lovely uh, unfiltered version of our pods, and it's going to be great. Yeah, it's things as small as, you know, discounts for some Cracked Rackets merchandise or, you know, ad-free episodes you do. As Jamie mentioned, we were thinking about, you know, if you want to hear what we're saying beneath the quacks, if you want to hear when I say, hey, Westoff, filing out this story because it's too inappropriate for the public. Well, if you're a private subscriber, that's what you're asking for. So those sorts of things as well. You know, other things from, uh, you know, we want to thank you, listeners. So, uh, you know, we will, of course, give shout-out to anyone kind enough to subscribe uh, uh, during an episode if you have questions you want asked and discussed during an episode that will be a form to submit them as well things like the weekend mini break of course during slams that's something we're going to always try and provide but moving forward you know friday night saturday night those are two big nights in the tennis world there's tennis all year long semifinals finals typically happen on the weekends so we want to discuss those we don't want to just wait for that sunday night for monday morning pod so you know it's that sort of content uh, and and beyond i there was a time when it wasn't just Matt Sikowiak, Jamie McDonald, our crew of Cracked Rackets writers. I used to be a part of that team, and now that I have time on my hands, I'm really looking forward to doing that as well. So it's a list of options available for you on Patreon, and we really are looking forward to getting that launch. The official launch date, I believe, will be this Wednesday. Um, now, uh, there will be some cool content released in that moment as well, but we look forward to adding more and more to this Patreon as we continue to go, and hey, we get enough subscri- uh, enough response, enough subscribers. Jamie McDonald, will, we will make this house happily a house for four and have you here in Indy as well because, again, we're really excited where things are going on Cracked Rackets from the pro tennis coverage, the college thing, all of these different things. We, we want to be on the ground. We want to continue to provide the experience that we hope you listeners have enjoyed, and of course, we we wouldn't be doing any of this if it wasn't for you, the listener, who we've been so appreciative of riding this journey out with us, the different developments these podcasts have taken, uh, the demand we have for them. So shout out to you guys for helping us get to a point where we can make this happen. And I know, Jamie, again, I, I speak for everyone at Crack Rackets. We're really excited for this. Absolutely. My one piece of advice 
become a patron so that you can submit questions so that you don't just have to uh, listen to us ask and answer our own questions all the time. Give us some fresh input. We, we want that perspective. So when it comes time for those mailbag episodes that you'll have exclusive access to, submit us the best questions because, you know, clearly Gruskins aren't cutting it. I don't know. <laughs> no, well, I was going to say, we do good take, bad take, hot take. Not only because of this, but that's one of those things that I don't show you. You don't show me yours beforehand because we're on this podcast talking tennis each and every day. I know what you think. You know exactly what I think. Hopefully you listeners have grown accustomed to my sorts of thoughts as well, though. We want to keep things spicy for you, so different sorts of questions, as you mentioned, too. Avoid the group think. We'll say that's not like Rothman and I will text and I'll send him a bet and or I'll send him a take on a match and he'll be like, dude, I was about to send you that same thing. And it's just like, yeah, well, I want to hear, you know, what I always refer to him, but my friend Hudson Hatfield, you know, what does Hudson think about this match? What does he have to say? And, you know, of course, there are different levels of things, different interactions we can have through this Patreon uh, lever that we didn't have before. And we were really looking forward to doing that. We're really looking forward now that I'm in Indy. I can't escape West of and say, no, I can't. I have a work thing when in reality I just want to sleep uh, so we're hopefully going to be doing these video pods more often right you know at least once a week it seems like something that should be easy to facilitate next time I'll be cleanly shaven I'll have a haircut I'm letting it all get unruly before I have to be all nice and uh, tucked before the ITA indoors don't want to make a fool of myself in front of the top 16 teams in the country and of course we have that on the horizon I will be recording a mini break later tonight to recap all of the college action get you listeners ready for the crazy week that will be uh uh, the crazy two next two weeks of college tennis women's kickoff this weekend men's kickoff next weekend you know three ATP tournaments this week the Dallas Challenger we'll be talking about that on the mini break as well for all of that content go to our website crackedrackets.com you can find it on social media Twitter Instagram Facebook YouTube I don't think I missed anything Jamie but any final thoughts before we wrap this bad boy up I feel like we've gotten away from it but Australian Open was phenomenal. Um, only looking forward to it from French. I feel like that was like 30 minutes ago, but just to ground us here a tad bit. Um, yeah, Australian Open was a ton of fun. Looking forward to the French Open where, as you mentioned, the times won't be as crazy to watch matches. Um, and yeah, only looking forward to 2020. Big things for sure. Crack rackets and the tennis so world. So let's... I'm, I'm glad you talked about the tennis. Yes, phenomenal Australian Open. I think that was the ideal start to our slam season, and minus the time difference, again, if we can get those same sorts of results moving forward, we're in for a really, really fun 2020 year. Last thing I want to do with you, you mentioned that French Open, so let's have a little fun. Uh, you know, we don't endorse gambling, of course, but we do enjoy that aspect of the sport. So I want to talk a little gambling with you. I want you to try and guess the Bavada lines right now for our French Open favorites, because of course they are out. Can you you guess right now the top we'll say five odds uh, for the french open just who yeah who are the top five right now on the men's side um on the men's side you can guess the women too it's gonna be nadal team nadal number one hold on nadal number one minus 110 team number three plus no, team number three Djokovic two um Djokovic two plus 300 now these next two are really interesting uh I'm going to say Zverev's five. Good for you. Zverev plus 2,000, number five. Can you guess who's number four? I think this is the one you like the most. Yeah, who did they put in here? Um, I'm clearly blanking on somebody. There's no way they... No, they can't be. Um, did they put Fed at four? Federer, number seven. He's behind okay, Daniel Medvedev. I was honestly going to be annoyed. Yeah. I was honestly going to be annoyed if they put Fed at four. Like, number that was four, bother me. Stefano Tsitsipas, plus 1,400. Wow. 
know what's crazy? Berrettini is number nine. He, Andy Murray, and Stan Wawrinka all have the same odds. Take Wawrinka for sure. <laughs> yeah, and after you get to below Wawrinka, it just gets crazy. I mean, some of these ads are crazy. On the women's side, guess who's number one? Let's see if you can guess it. For the first time ever, someone not named Serena is number one. Can you guess who that player is? Uh, Barty. Ashley Barty plus 900. She's number three. Simona Halep, number one at plus 500. Okay. Serena right now, eight to one. I'm just saying you're never going to get Serena at eight to one. So if you're one of those Serena's getting 24 this year, hit that immediately. Muguruza hot take plus 900. Burton's plus 1,000. I'm looking down this list. Kennan plus 3,000 on the clay. That is tasty. Uh, Sakari plus 3,300 I'm interested in. Um, Kim Kleischer's plus 15,000. I'm not interested in that at all. I got it. Uh, Yeah, but... These are some really interesting odds right now. I'm just saying, if you think it's going to be someone new, now, you know, Ashley Barty plus 900 again. It's not going to, if you think she's going to repeat as the French Open champion, now's the time to hit that number because once we get into clay season, all of these numbers adjust. Definitely. Yeah. Well, all just right. some well, healthy betting tips, some more. Yeah, exactly. Just one extra tangent to wrap up this Australian Open, which seems fitting. But for my wonderful co-host, James Foster McDonald, who shout out to you for the two weeks of lunch mini breaks you put in. For our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westhoff, who have enough of a job to do as always. And shout out to them as well. None of these podcasts happen without the work they do behind the scenes. For our friends at Diadem and Aerobar, and for our listeners who are unaware, use our promo code CR50 to check out that Diadem tennis gear. Aerobar, it's cracked. 30 CRACKED30 to get your first order of Aero Bar Energy Bars uh, for 30% off. Uh, and of course, from everyone here at Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jamie, what do we tell the listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all next time. Hope you enjoyed the Australian Open, everyone.